to the Sinestro Podcast, where we discuss the movies that we love, new and old. I'm your host, Ferris Bueller, and I am joined by my good friend, Brendan. Hey, guys. How's it going? Glad to be back. Welcome back. Uh, we Last time he was here uh, talking about the Terminator and the Terminator universe. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, got to look back on some classic movies and... Uh, Talk a little smack about Daenerys Targaryen. <laughs> yes, Khaleesi, she was terrible. Yeah, movie. yeah, but she's she's wonderful in just about everything else. Like she's she's a shining star in uh, you know Solo. She's she's, she's up. Yo, yeah, she was really good in Solo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like, you know, credit where credit's due. Yes. Sometimes things work. Sometimes things don't. It's true. It's true. And today we are well. I mean, happy holidays, everybody. Um, and today we're going to be discussing our top movies of the year. And also before or after that, actually, we're going to discuss our top 10 movies of the decade. Yeah. Uh, top five of the year, top 10 of the decade. Yeah. With some honorable mentions. Um, and 20, from 2010 till now has been a crazy, crazy amount of content. Uh, we've had some pretty game-changing movies. Yeah, so like I, I looked at my statistics because I went through in preparation for this podcast and I like went on IMDb and I just year by year scrolled through all these movies and I was like, all right, have I seen this one? What did I think? Have I seen this one? What did I think? And so I've seen 131 movies uh, that have come out in the last decade. Nice. Uh, my mean uh, score for them has always been a seven because in in my rating book, you get a five for making a movie, uh, but you also get a five for making a movie that I can't finish. So like Spring Breakers got a five. <laughs> I haven't seen Spring Breakers. I, I saw half of it. Mm -hmm. And then like as I was watching it, I was reading spoilers and I'm like, wait, wait, wait. So she she leaves. Um, <laughs> what is it? Selena Gomez leaves halfway through the movie. All right, I'm done then. <laughs> um, I haven't seen that, but um, but we're gonna add a little twist uh, to. Well, anyway, my list. I don't know about yours, but my list has a little slight stipulations uh, because of recency bias. I'm not throwing any 2019 movies in the decade. Interesting. All right. Yes, because. The after the summer blockbusters this year, there was a crazy. I think it started with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. There was a crazy amount of good content. Movies. It's true. Twenty nineteen has been my favorite year for films in a long time. In a very long time. Yeah, yeah. No, I I know the feeling. Um, Everything so for, was just like a seven point five and above. Yeah, yeah. So for my list here, what I have is one for each year, but in no real order. Okay. Uh, and then I have four. Uh, movies from 2019 that I just think uh, people should go out and, and give a better chance to. Like, if you haven't taken the time, if you get the time, try it. You might just like it. Okay. So, okay. So, with that being said, then let's let's start off with the with, with the 2019 choices. All right. Um, do you want to go movie for movie, or do you want to go your four? And then Let, let's go movie for movie. You start because I only have four. Okay. And right. and then we'll end on you as well. Okay, not a problem. So, for 2019, I chose five movies that stood out to me, uh, I thought, were the best of the year. Mm -hmm. And um, and they're not... So, this top five is... They're all pretty close to each other. Okay. Especially the top three. All right. The top three are really close. 
one is the clear choice, but two and three, I can't choose. Okay. So I, they're just there. All right. So we might have to come back at the end and yeah. like discuss the options. Yes. Okay. So uh, yeah, we'll we'll discuss why these movies made the list. All right. So number five was Queen and Slim. Queen and Sw- Slim. I've never heard of this one. Tell me all it's about a it. Great movie. We did a. So my, my wife joined me on an episode uh, a couple weeks back, uh, and we discussed Queen and Slim. It's it's with Daniel Kaluuya, and okay. from Get Out. All right. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, and I gotta look up her name again. I feel so bad. <laughs> <laughs> but she no, she was a model who became. I think this was her first real speaking role, and she killed it. Nice. Um, and is it's written by Lena Waithe. And directed by Melina Matsukas. Uh, it's an all black cast. It's wonderful. It's super it's, cool. Yes. And so it's 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 basically about a Tinder date that's not really that, you know, sparks don't fly that much. Right. And after they leave the Tinder date, uh, they are, you know, pulled over by police. And the police officer happens to be a racist, you know, white cop who ends up, you know, harassing them. And she she uh, she's a lawyer, so she, she uh, sorry she is sitting shotgun. Okay. And so she keeps telling the police officer, "We have you have no reason to search the car. You have no." And then things escalate. He pulls out a gun. The, the police officer pulls out a gun. Accidentally shoots the passenger in the leg. Oh. Main characters start to like the Daniel Kaluuya starts to wrestle the police officer to kind of subdue, like just to stop the situation de-escalated. Yeah, yeah. Ends up accidentally killing the police officer. And now they're on the run. Oh, in the sure. United States. Yes. And, and it's the Southern United States. Yeah, yeah. So they have, you know, the chances are slim. Anyway, that, that was my wife and I watched it and we were both emotional at the end of that movie. A couple of, you know, tearful moments. And, um, yeah, it was it was a wonderful movie. That's my number five. All right, all right. So I I have one that literally made it to the list last minute. Okay, it is literally the last movie I have watched so far this year. It's called The Aftermath. Okay. All right. Who's so this is this is James Kent, starring Kira Knightley. Alexander Skarsgård is in it, and uh, Jason Clark plays Kira Knightley's husband. Uh, and what it is is a dark portrayal of the reality of being uprooted from your home in the aftermath of World War II. And what's interesting is it's it's taught from the British perspective where she and her husband get posted to Germany and end up living in this guy's house, Alexander Skarsgård's house. And he's like living up in the attic and they, they like, she just hates the idea of being in Germany, hates Germans and throughout the movie, um, doesn't necessarily change her mind, but like she kind of hate bangs Alexander Skarsgård. Kieran <laughs> Knightley? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then they have hate this bang. like, yeah, that's that's what it seems like. They should change that to Cersei. <laughs> they Cersei Lannister her, but like, yeah, no. But then there's there's some other components to that one yeah. that you're like. Eh. Also, when I say Cersei, I don't mean 
I'm not talking about the scene where she got raped by her brother. Not at all. No, no, no. no I'm just talking about how much people hate her and find her attractive at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Just for clarification. people. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Maybe. Then. Uh, so they, they hate Bang and then they have this like clandestine relationship while uh, his daughter is falling in love with this uh, Nazi boy. He's got like uh, eight, eight uh, carved into his arm. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it has like a level of reality to it. It is it is fiction, but like it has this uh, level of reality, and it it does something that war movies don't typically do for me, which is show me moral consequences. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. Wait, the moral ambiguity is not it's 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 clearly defined here. Yeah, it's not ambiguous. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like there's it's. I don't. I don't want to talk about this movie right now because no, <laughs> it, it didn't make my list. Uh, but like, it's it's a little like the the Greta Gerwig movie that we're going to talk about in another episode. Yeah, look, yeah, I'm I'm going to watch that tomorrow. Actually, with my nice. Wife. Okay, nice. It's it's really good. Okay. Well, I'm a fan of Greta Gerwig, so yeah, yeah. We'll we'll talk about it when when we get a chance. All right. um, but yeah, so that that was one of my. That was your, okay. My 2019 movies where I was like, yeah, this this is surprisingly good. You should actually take the time and go see it. It's also better than uh, The Imitation Game, which is the the other... Benedict Cumberbatch, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the other period piece that she did this decade that, uh, that I saw. And uh, she was also in Laggies, which is a movie where she cheats on her fiancé. Okay. Uh, so those are the three Kira Knightley movies I've seen this year. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. And number four, I have Parasite. Have you seen Parasite? I haven't. Everyone tells me it's amazing. Have you seen Snowpiercer? No. Okay. Well, Parasite, I can't describe it anything. It's Kore- It's a Korean movie. I can't. Yeah. I can't. It was mind-boggling. It, it, one thing I respect about Korean filmmakers is the you know they make movies that are three genres in one like layered yeah right it's crazy this was a comedy dark comedy uh you know uh suspense thriller mystery interesting yeah and drama all in one and it's like so layered it's 132 minutes and it does not feel like it the moment you feel the movie's about to start lagging, right away things escalate. Oh, yeah. it's so great. Yeah. It's like so many movies die for a couple of minutes. Yeah. It, like, didn't, it, it was 30 seconds where I felt like, okay, well, you know, let's like, what's 30 seconds out of that. And I, and then they just shifted gears. It's like he knew. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, more filmmakers should take like that. That, that kind of pacing is phenomenal. It's amazing. It does something to you. It's kind of meta where it's like, it's like the director was thinking about you at that moment. He knew you'd get bored there and then kind yeah, of... Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's a sign of a great directorial choice. All right, so... It's directed pitch. by Bong, Bong Joon-ho. Bong Joon-ho. Yes, right. he did Snowpiercer as well, which was which I loved. Okay. With Captain America. <laughs> He's always going to be Captain America to me. But, you know, Chris uh, Evans, for respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you, so you really need to watch that as... Uh, I definitely have it on my list of like things to catch up on. It was a surprise. Yeah. It was very, 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 very well done. I, I will probably have to wait for it to come to second run. All right. 
So you got three left. Yeah. Uh, all right. So this one, if you have kids, you definitely saw it. If you don't have kids, you might have passed on it. Uh, Rob Letterman directing Ryan Reynolds, Justice Smith, and uh, Catherine Newton uh, in, of course, Pokemon Detective Pikachu. <laughs> uh, it is just a joy-filled thrill ride. Uh, don't go in like thinking about it too much. Don't go in being like, okay, you know, this, that, the other thing, having those expectations. No, no, no. Just sit down, watch the movie, laugh. Uh, it's filled with homages to other movies. Uh, obviously, uh, the big one is Batman. <laughs> the, the like, gas-filled balloons. And, and the way they're stopped in the movie, too. <laughs> I haven't seen Detective Pikachu. I feel guilty, though. I, I heard it's good. It, it's really fun. Uh, and and totally worth checking out for sure. Nice. Yeah. All right, I'll check that out. You know what? It's, I watched Shazam for the first time yesterday, so loved it. Yeah, that was really good. Surprisingly yeah, yeah. good. I was shocked, but it's, it didn't make any of my lists. <laughs> um, all right, so number three for me is, and I had a real tough time putting it at number three because it was at number two until I saw number two. <laughs> oh no! So I don't. <laughs> but. Um, so number three is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's ninth movie. What, what can I say about this movie except like this is I, I was sitting in the theater watching this. I, I rewatched it recently, but when it came on theaters, I watched it and I had this feeling like, yo, this guy, Tarantino, I don't think any director loves film more than Tarantino. No, probably not. Probably not. Maybe Scorsese. Yeah. yeah. You know, but that's about it. I, this guy loves movies and you could tell. Because he he pulled out all stops here. He blocked off Hollywood Boulevard, like the downtown, yeah, yeah. to film this for like how long? Like, only he could have done that. And like it was, it's just every other Tarantino was hyper violent and like you know, kind of very you know shocking and shock humor and stuff like that. Yeah, this was this was him flexing his writing muscle. Yeah, no, so I, I really enjoyed it. I saw it very recently. A uh, buddy of mine came over, Sean Duhame, does some great music stuff uh, and loves loves movies, so he played that one for me. And I was like, hot damn. And what I love about it is that it is a modern-day fairy tale. Yes, like, the you, what if. Yeah, yeah, you have these these characters that are the shining examples of their like very much stock character model. Like yes. you have the white knight in shining armor who's Brad like, yeah, 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 yeah. Where he's like, oh, you know, he, he doesn't flower the fair maiden. He <laughs> like, you know, goes and protects his friend. Uh, he was my favorite part of that movie. He was a lot of fun. That parkour jump that he does yeah. up the side of the building. Like, I, I've i wanted to learn parkour for a while, but now I'm, like, looking at Brad Pitt going, that, that motherfucker's in his 50s. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, and the thing is, is, like, there's, there was a, it's, it seems like a movie without a lot of meat on it, but it's, it's really, there's no fat on it. That's the difference, I think. Yeah. It's really, like, it's clean cut dialogue. It's, it's, it's. 
Brad Pitt's character, first of all, when he had that cigarette uh, dipped in acid and he yeah. goes on the trip and he just takes a puff or two and then he goes, away we go. <laughs> like, yeah. That's, that's ultimate Brad Pitt. I don't think he's ever been cooler in any movie. Yeah. So the thing I appreciate most about this is that it feels very Tarantino without being stereotypically Tarantino. Yeah. Yeah. Like it. It's not any one of his fast-talking movies. It's very paced. It's measured. Right. Uh, There's no it, tangent, no tangential dialogue. Everything yeah, is purposeful. Yeah, they're not, they're not, you know, talking about burgers in France. Yeah. yeah. There's no Royale with cheese. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It but was, that, that makes it work. That yeah. makes it a movie that you can connect with in a way that none of his other movies have done. And I think that's intentional that the one movie that is based on a real event uh -huh. is the most idyllic fairy tale version yeah. of any of his movies. Everything else is like very over the top B movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think this was more, a, a, you know, a, a testament to him saying, you know, this is where I belong. Like this is, he, he showed his writing and directing skills like never before. Like there was, like there was no fight choreography until the end. But like, yeah, it was, it was, it was a story. It was a, it was beautiful, man. Yeah, and I, I know a lot of people complain about Bruce Lee's, uh, yes, bit in it, and I'm going to defend it for a half second uh, <laughs> by saying that it's intentionally racist. <laughs> yeah. That like, if you go back. No one who knew Bruce Lee thought he was a moron who would fight anybody for honor. No. Not a single person on the planet actually thinks that if you've seen anything he does. Yes. He does this. There's this great interview uh, that I watched. I found it on YouTube. I'll try to find it for you. Okay. Uh, but it's him doing uh, a television interview just before he gets his big break. Uh, this is like just after the Green Hornet, but like he's about to transfer into movies. Uh -huh. uh, and he is one of the most measured, intelligent, witty people you will ever see. Okay. Uh, and so this, this intentional racism is like very much directed at the idea that you can't have a fairy tale where you know, the minority is allowed, accepted. Yeah. You know, that, so that's, that's very telling of the time. And he's, it's, he's capturing the essence of that time. Yeah. Cause I'll give it, this is a bit off topic, but there was when Beverly Hills cop first came out. Okay. Eddie Murphy was, uh, you know, he, he was, he was amazing in that role. Yeah. There was an article written. I forget who it's by. I'll find it and I'll send it to you. Uh, they, it was a, a woman, I forget her name, but she was very, um, I think the quote was, we can't have Eddie Murphy to make white people look stupid. Like something, oh, something to that effect. Okay, to okay. have a, a, a black guy that, you know, charismatic and slick. Yeah, yeah. Slipping through the clack, uh, cracks, solving crimes oh, was man. a bit offensive because it was the early 80s, right? So. Yeah, yeah. But the movie is so great. Yeah. Like at least through my rose tinted glasses. Like <laughs> I, I remember watching it a bunch of times as a kid. Yeah. So yeah, once upon a time, that's my number three. All right, all right. So the next one I think that you should check out 
if you haven't, because uh, it got buried. Uh, it got buried right after um, Endgame came out. Ooh. And this, it, the other movie that I'm going to talk about afterwards also got buried, but this one in particular was fun, uh, maybe a little heavy-handed, but it it scratched my, like, uh, Stranger Things. I binge-watched all of it, Itch. Mm. Uh, and this is, of course, Godzilla King of Monsters. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so Godzilla King of Monsters was fun. It's a joyride. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's ridiculous. So ridiculous. Uh, it is designed purely to set up Godzilla versus King Kong. Or kind King of, Kong versus Godzilla, which, like, hell yeah, let's do that. Yeah, I want to see that. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't care if it's there's no storyline. We could have five lines the whole movie. I just want to see him duke it up. I'll yeah, pay him yeah. money for that. Yeah, so they... That's exactly what they give you when you go see Godzilla King of Monsters. You're like, okay, Millie Bobby Brown's in it, Kyle Chandler's in it, Vera Farmiga is in it, uh, Ken Watanabe. Yeah, Watanabe, uh, I love that guy. And and so he's made it twice on this list he's already. A bad man. Like he's in he's in Detective Pikachu. Oh, uh, but the movie's great. Uh, Bradley Whitford, he's he's hilarious. Uh, there, there are just a ton of really fun actors in this movie having a good time and you, you don't see the twist coming in the movie either, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Uh, but they use it as a way to set up the rest of the movie to allow that to happen, which is kind of interesting. I liked it. I liked yeah. It. Yeah. That's, that is a worthy mention. Yeah. Yeah. So shout out to Michael Doherty for like doing a studio movie that's just fun man it's just fun it's good oh man all right so my number two is uncut gems of course i haven't seen it yet i i don't want to give any spoilers i'm not going to say anything other than wow uh the safety brothers really came together here and gave a piece of art that feels like new york it's very it's it's very New York. It's Jewish Diamond District, you know, fast talking, fast pace. Very like it's just you felt like you were there and it's just, it was very stress inducing. Like the, you remember how the Joker was stress inducing? Yeah, yeah. This was a different kind of stress. Same level. Fascinating. It was, yeah, it was stressful. Oh, man. It was unrelenting from beginning to end. Okay. And what a crescendo. I won't say anything else, but wow. Um, Uncut Gems was beautiful. I'm I'm gonna let it come the second run because I know it just hit. So well, yeah, yeah. It's it's it's. I know I'm gonna do an episode about it too with somebody else who's seen it. If you, if yeah, you, yeah, I'll, I'll get to it eventually, but it'll probably man. be in second run because it's coming to Netflix. It's a twenty four and Netflix together. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so that man, that's my number two, and that was hard to decide between that and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood so much, and I've watched it twice. I've let it marinate since the summer, and yeah. so it has a permanent place where, in like, in my heart, you know. Yeah. But uncut gems might be recency bias. Might I don't know, it, but it was beautiful. Okay. All right. Amazing. All right. All right. Um. So my my last one here. This is this is number four for me, and these these were in no particular order. Um, is a movie that, like, I guarantee people have just straight up overlooked. 
and if they didn't overlook it, they got suckered in by the marketing and didn't get the movie that they expected coming in. Uh, now, I watched this the same day I watched Detective Pikachu. Two movies in one day. You're my kind of guy. I've done yeah, it yeah. times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I go, to, I go to the second runs and I like pay six bucks for a movie. Aha, uh-huh. Rainbow Cinema. Well, yeah, yeah, those so, ones. So to go back to that, at, uh, uh, it's it's a limited release for Uncut Gems. So okay. I don't think you're going to see it in a second run or anything. It's oh, going to go straight to Netflix. All right, all right. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so uh, this one I saw, it probably was the wrong order for the day. I probably should have seen this one first and then Detective Pikachu because like Detective Pikachu is definitely a laugh out loud comedy. Uh, Jim Jarmusch is the director on this one. So it's Bill Murray, Adam Driver, Tom Waits, uh, Chloe Sevigny. Uh, and I'm going to skip down the list here to, uh, oh, what is, uh, Tilda Swinton is in it. Oh, yes. Uh, so this is The Dead Don't Die. I have to see that. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. So The Dead Don't Die is the slowest zombie movie ever made. (laughs) Uh, It was marketed as a comedy. It's not quite a laugh out loud comedy, but so here's, here's the big thing. And it took me a while to sort of like clue into what the metaphor was for the movie. Cause that's, that's the big thing about any good zombie movie. There's a, there's a metaphor to what the zombies represent about our fears. Uh, and so in this movie, it is very much the idea that we only exist as long as we exist in somebody's mind. Ah, okay. So, so at, once you're forgotten, then. Exactly. So at different points in the movie, people get like shiny for a second. Uh, and it's their, their one shining moment in somebody else's mind. Oh. And then so there's cool. zombies, but it is, it is slow. It is meta. It is weird. Uh, <laughs> I'm straight up going to spoil shit at this point. Uh, Tilda Swinton is a uh, katana wielding undertaker. Oh my God. Uh, who at the end of the movie gets abducted by aliens. Nice. Okay. So like, Movie's straight up bizarre, but like one of those movies that you kind of should take the time to to see, but wasn't good enough to be in my like 2019 slot for the decade. Okay. Yeah. All right, man. That's pretty cool. I still want to watch it, even though I know the ending, but I'm in. Yeah, yeah. I'm in. It's weird. Well, weird is, I'm down for weird sometimes. They, they repeat whole like sections of dialogue in this movie. Entire sections of dialogue in completely different scenes, and it means something else. All it's, right. it's weird. Okay, nice. Yeah. Nice, nice. All right. And so now we're at number one for me, my top five in the 2019. Uh, a lot of my friends already know what this is for me. Uh, my wife knows. Everybody knows. Uh, I've made no secrets about how much I love this movie. The Irishman. Haven't seen it yet. Man. I wanted to see it in theaters because, like, everyone's like, "That's how Scorsese intended it," and I like, I missed it. But I have, I have my projector now, so like, I'll get around yeah, to it. Yeah, theaters is not. It was great. I saw it in theaters. I watched it three times. Uh, 
So like my big thing is I feel like I, I need to be invested in this movie to watch it. Uh, so like, that's why I would have wanted the theater experience. Like they make you turn off your phone. You like, if you, if you walk out at any point, you like miss something. <laughs> yeah. No, it was, so you can watch it at home and try and like do it how you do it. Yeah. yeah. But I'm going to go on a mini rant here. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You um, go, go nuts. Because. Spoil everything. Uh, I, no, no spoilers. Uh, it's, it's about the length of this movie and it's three and a half hours. And the only critique I've heard was it's too long and I would have cut this or that. Let me stop you right there, people. All right. Okay. I would have cut this and I would have cut that. You don't know how to make movies better than Martin Scorsese. You don't. Every minute is purposeful. There's a reason he did it. He didn't do this on a whim and say, ah, oh, well, you know, let my mistakes go through. They're purposeful. Yeah. Sometimes there are decisions that are made and they allow the character to sit and kind of, you know, ponder on that which is great filmmaking. It's purposeful. It's a story that spans four decades about regret, mortality, uh, you know, all these kind of themes you that touch a on- punchy here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it, it, it's purposeful. Not a minute is wasted. And to sit there and talk about, oh, well, you should watch. Listen, you guys watch stupid amounts of TV on freaking, you know, Iron Chef or whatever freaking like- yeah. yeah. If you can justify binge watching crap television, I don't want to hear that as a critique. It's not a it's not a real critique, right? It's a great film. It's paced perfectly for exactly what it's covering. It's four decades. It's it's purposeful. Not a minute is wasted. This is Scorsese, a master. And 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 also, every Scorsese movie is three hours or something. Like how many times? Every time The Wolf of Wall Street came out, and they're like, oh, well, it's three hours. It's too long. Casino came out. Oh, it's too long. Uh, Gangs of New York goes to listen. Don't go to a Scorsese movie. Don't feel like you have to well, fit he's, in. He's an auteur, so like he's he's doing things that are. And now we've got a siren going over here. Um, no, but he's he's doing things that that are different. Uh, he's he's it's like going to see two thousand and one: A Space Odyssey, which I saw in theaters this year. Yes. Uh, Gorgeous movie, stunning, and the space ballet feels like it takes forever. It does. It's there for a reason. Don't yes. get me wrong. It's there to pace. It's there to ponder. It's there. Let's be honest, just a little bit to show off. It's Kubrick flexing, right? Yeah, yeah. but it it looks so great, uh, and it's purposeful. It's deliberate. It is like these these movies are being made deliberately long. No one sat through uh, Infinity War, yeah, exactly. and, and went like, "Oh, this movie is too long." No, length isn't a problem with movies that are telling a story that need the length. Yes, precisely, and yeah. I don't think it's a valid critique. No, no, probably right. not. But I haven't seen it, so I can't really add to the discourse on that particular movie just that three-hour movies shouldn't be uncommon although maybe an intermission would be nice why not yeah. you know i don't mind an intermission but i'll tell you this that movie it was and you know it like the second watch i got so involved al pacino stole the show al pacino and joe pesci's performance were stellar but i'm i'm rooting for al to get i know he's gonna get a nod but and i don't care about the oscars but 
this year is so stacked that whoever wins, it's going to be nice. The only thing I see happening that I can like, it's kind of, it sucks to predict this, but I feel like 1917 is going to win best picture because world war one movies are like Academy catnip, you know? (laughs) So it's like, they're not gonna, they're not going to miss an opportunity to reward uh, a world war one epic. I'd say Irishman should be best picture. Um, but then you know Roger Deakins is on 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 1917. Yeah. So, but yeah, Irishman, best movie of the year, and it's not close. Yeah, <laughs> they're, yeah. they're, they're, this is superior filmmaking at its finest. If it's not for you, that's different, right? I understand that. But if this is your genre and Scorsese is your guy, then you the length should not be a critique. And frankly, it's not one I respect. The conversation will shut down when it happens. Yeah. Sorry, people. <laughs> All right, so that's the 2019, top of 2019. And I feel fairly confident in that list. I think it'll do well at the Oscars. And, you know, there's a lot of heavy hitters this year. Like I said, after the summer, 2019 has been crazy. And, like, Joaquin is a lock for Joker. Either him or Adam Driver Yeah, in in Marriage Story, which was amazing, which is also an honorable mention, actually, for 2019. It was in my top five until I saw Uncut Gems. And Uncut Gems... Took that movie out of my top five. Oh, That's man. how good Un- Uncut Gems is. That's so great, though. <laughs> the, like I, I love hearing that these movies are are coming out, and I, I think what I've seen this year uh, that I haven't seen in a few years watching movies, watching TV, watching whatever is a return not of film as a medium specifically, but the aesthetic of film being reintroduced into video vernacular yes um so the the joker looks like film yes uh and like dunkirk was shot on 72 millimeter yes uh and like a lot of these these movies are coming out and like for a while we got slick clean crisp digital looking movies yes and and i think a lot of people are looking back on the movies from the last decade and the last two decades looking at the digital stuff going uh we kind of like it better on film yes and and finding great ways to emulate that like if you if you look at the star wars uh movies that have come out in the last five to seven years yes since the the disney merger there uh, they they spend a lot of time actually researching what these old projectors look like, what the uh, scan lines on TVs look like. Ah. They reintroduce these like weird artifacts into everything in those movies. Nice to to bring back that level of verisimilitude that I think is is lacking in a lot of the crisp digital stuff. Okay. Yeah, very well said. I always learn something when I hang out with brand new guys. <laughs> I hope you do too. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you. All right. So now we're going to get to the top 10 of the decade. Um, I'm going to count down from 10 to 1 uh, in order of what I think, you know, what I think is the best. Um, and number 10 is a bit of a cheat. Oh. Oh, yeah. I cheated. I oh, cheated. But this, a cheater. But this is my podcast. So Yeah, you know, yeah. You can do what you want. Number 10 is the Infinity Saga, which includes all the Marvel movies. So, so we're talking 23 movies. Yes. Your your top 10 has 23 <laughs> movies in it. 
before we get past number so, 10. So, so here's the thing. But they all have one arc. It's one story arc. I, I mean, it's one story arc in the same way that Star Wars was written. All right. So <laughs> I'm, 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 I got to do it, man, because I, I, there's no, too no, much. I, like, I, I admit <laughs> that they are connected, but, like, the connection is pretty tangential. I'll, I'll give you that, like, they did something <laughs> masterful. <laughs> okay. All right. They so, did something different. So 10 goes Infinity Saga. Okay. All right. And so, you know, that's all those, you know, MCU movies tied in one. Usually, mainly the headers are the Avengers movies, yeah. Winter Soldier, stuff like that, Ragnarok. Guardians, whatever, all of it, right? That's my number 10. Okay, all uh, right. So I'll leave it at that. You know why? Because I don't think there's been any other franchise that's done what they've done, considering... No, not that, at all. That, yeah, that many movies, that many, uh, you know, tangential storylines story lines that kind of meet in, in the middle somewhere. Yeah. Up to Captain America's arc, and then kind yeah, of well, they, shift to Cosmic to, to the Guardians. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's all fun. Like yes. It, it does... You do have to turn off your brain a little bit. You can't overanalyze it. Exactly. They will fill in these plot holes, but they're doing what comic books have been doing for years, mm -hmm. which is creating stories in a shared universe. And sometimes they don't always pan out exactly the way you want them, but sometimes they do. Yes. And and Infinity War was great. Endgame was but good. As, I love No, it was, it it. was good as Denouement. I'm I'm so as a comic book guy, I loved it. Okay, seeing Cap wield Milnor was yes. special for me in the. Oh yeah, yeah, no, I I got tingles in that moment. Yes, I loved it. There were, and I saw the movie twice in theaters, three times. Nice. Uh, I went and saw it twice, and I got tingles at the exact same moments. There were like four of them, and uh, you know, I I think it was Groot uh, becoming the uh, the handle. Oh, for Infinity War, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, that cat being able to wield it. Mm -hmm. uh, there was something else. But, like, that all came in the last 20 minutes of the movie. Best third act in the MCU. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not arguing it. Mm -hmm. I'm just... It functioned as denouement. And it was denouement. And that, like, last third act is the part of the movie that makes the movie. Best fan service I've seen yet today. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. All right. So, what's your? Are you are you doing chronologically, or are you doing... uh, I'm gonna bounce around the decade, but I am gonna start in 2010. Okay. Uh, I also picked a comic book movie, but I picked uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Uh, that was a great. Movie. Scott Pilgrim versus the World was so much fun. I love a lot of things about it. I love that it differs from the comic books. I love that it jammed in, uh, like all of the the volumes of the comic into one movie. Yes. Uh, and then had to come up with a different ending because the last book was taking so long to come out, which okay. is kind of cute. I, yo, that was a pleasant surprise. Yeah. I didn't think it was going to be that good, but it was great. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I have the soundtrack. The music in it is great. I have, like, the soundtrack on vinyl. Nice. Just, like, a little... Well, humble breakfast. Super, super artsy. Pink yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. <laughs> it's it's a red album too. It's like it looks super fancy. Nice. Yeah. Okay. You have to show me that after. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's 2010 there. That's 2010. my my first one. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'm gonna go number nine for me is Fruitvale Station. 
Bluebell Station is a movie by Ryan Coogler. It's his first movie, right? Okay, Coogler. all right. Uh, he wrote and directed it. I think it, I think he started it off as a short or something. Forrest Whitaker funded this movie. Okay. Uh, and it's about uh, Oscar Grant III, a 22-year-old boy, uh, a Bay Area resident, who crosses paths with friends, enemies, families, and strangers on the last day of 2008. On the train at Fruitvale Station. Okay. Uh, where he meets his demise by a, I think it was a cop who ended up shooting him. Oh, wow. For, yeah, it was, it's really sad. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was sad to watch, but it was, oh, it was great filmmaking by Ryan. Yeah, yeah. And it, you know, it's topical. It's like, it, they showed the footage of the guy getting shot by the security guard. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then they, sh- and then like, it was really, it was gut wrenching. It was a gut wrenching yeah, movie. Can imagine. Yeah. But it was wonderful. Oh, Wonderfully man. done. Okay. And I recommend everybody to see Fruitvale Station, if you haven't, Ryan Coogler is slowly climbing to be one of my favorites. He's nice. amazing. And that's my number nine. So he makes it twice with Black Panther there, too. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Um, so I I mean, you're going to come up with a lot of, like, really high-end artsy movies. I'm I'm giving you, like, the bottom of the barrel. This is, like, <laughs> oh, man, stuff I scraped up here. This is great stuff. Uh, up next, uh, 2017. The Power Rangers movie. I loved it. No. Yes. It was exactly what the Power Rangers movie needed to be. But maybe the first half. No, no, no. The, the whole thing. Because I didn't mind Goldar. Goldar was great. And, no, no. So, like, the, the Breakfast Club with superpowers kind of dynamic works. It just does its... And Brian Cranston is Zordon. That was that. That might have been a little weird given <laughs> uh, the reported history there, which I don't want to get into. Okay. Uh, but like, yeah, no, Bill Hader playing Alpha. Oh shit, that was Bill Hader. Oh, that was Bill Hader. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the the kids all had like generic personalities, uh, but it's also the first superhero movie with an openly gay character. Was was what's his name? Uh, he's Billy from Stranger Things, right? Uh, maybe is that the is Red that Ranger? Him? Let me let's take a look here. Uh, I'm I'm looking silly now. <laughs> no, I'm just I think it I, think, I thought it was him. Uh, let's see. Yeah, that's Darcy Darcy Montgomery, and he's in Stranger he, Things. Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I thought and it was then him. Naomi Scott. Is the Pink Ranger, uh, but it's uh, Becca G. I think is the the openly gay one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Yes. So yeah, first yeah. openly gay character it, in a superhero in a superhero movie. movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It it's, was the girl, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. It was, I vaguely uh, remember. Treated. I only watched that movie once. I think. But it it's so much fun. Mm-hmm. It it pays just enough fan service. Uh, and like the the only complaint that you can really have about the movie is that, and this is this is the same for basically every movie update of anything is like oh there was something about them knocking down cardboard houses that had some like <laughs> charm to it <laughs> yeah uh, and the CG doesn't have that charm it it's never going to have that charm of like just like knocking around in a giant. Uh, what is it, Genji suit? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that's... 
All right, Power Rangers, man. Yeah, was, yeah. So like, I I'm gonna have some weird shit in here. That's okay, man. That's yeah, what yeah. this is for, man. That's what this is for. All right. So my number eight, and I'm gonna preface this by saying I hate rewarding this movie, but I can't. It's undeniable. It's a great movie, The Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. Scorsese. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The master. Yeah. Freaking. It was written by Terry Winter, who did The Sopranos. It was. It was. It was a great movie. And, and, and the reason why I hate rewarding it is because a lot of people missed the message. They missed the point of the movie. It's a story about excess. Okay. And they um, are not redeemable characters, these guys. They're sacks yeah. of shit. Yeah, yeah. He has a literal get out of jail free card. And they tell him, listen, you have all the money in the world. Yeah. You don't have to burn people for a living. Yeah, yeah. Stay out of the company. He can't say no to that. Why? Because he wants to keep fucking people over. I don't understand it. And then he goes to jail. And then it's like, oh, I was scared for 20 minutes until I remembered I was rich. And then he just goes to Club Fed <laughs> and comes out and starts doing seminars. <laughs> and, like, there's no redemption arc. It's about a criminal. It's a yeah. crime story. Yeah. And people seem to forget that. And now everybody wants to be a salesman. And everybody wants to be like Jordan Belford. Matthew McConaughey literally has the thesis to this movie when he's learning, when he's teaching a young Leo you know, what the business is about. Yeah, Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio says, uh, you know, Jordan Belfort's character, he says, um, you know, it's advantageous if we can make money and have the clients make money as well. Right, sir? And Matthew McConaughey says, no. You know, what happens when they're about to cash out? It becomes real. We don't want that. So yeah. what's next? If that stock is doing well, we come up with the next idea. Yeah. Another uh, revolutionary stock that'll take them to the next level. Yeah. And then we make cash via commission motherfucker like that's, that's yeah, exactly yeah. what he says and and that's literally the stock market and they can't gauge anything and he says it's not on the elemental charts there's no real rhythm it's bullshit and which is true and so it's a sucker's bet every time yeah and that's what this movie's about it's, it's about suckers doing sucker shit <laughs> and yeah. and i and that's it's, why it's I hate like rewarding it. It's like your oh, cues from Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Yeah, or like Gordon Gecko. Yeah, it's yeah. not these guys. You're not supposed to look up to these guys. They're morons, right? Yeah. It's not. There's no hyper intellect here that's <laughs> happening on Wall Street. These are sleazy guys. They're crooks. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's why I hate rewarding this movie because people are. Yeah, yeah. But you get amped up for Scorsese. You really do. Scorsese's my guy. So yeah, yeah. yeah, I have to put this movie in there at number eight. All right. Uh, so again, another weird one. Uh, this time we're jumping to 2013. We had Jesse Eisenberg in his like least annoying role this mm-hmm. decade. Uh, Mark Ruffalo, Woody Harrelson, Ilsa Fisher, of course. I am talking about now. You see me? Oh crap! Yeah. For a second, I thought you were going Zombieland, and then I started. Okay. Ilsa no, no, Zombieland, no. Yeah. It's uh, now you, it's now you see me. That was a fun. This watch. movie is a super fun watch. It is. Um, its sequel doesn't live up. Unfortunately, Ilsa Fisher is, is seemingly irreplaceable. Yeah, she's uh, wonderful. She she was a joy in this movie. Uh, it is an absurd, high tech. Uh, magic filled and and I mean that both literally and just like stage magic filled ride of a movie uh, and it's it's well worth seeing and I I have to give props to Jesse Eisenberg because he does the the card tricks in the movie 
he's he's he like locked himself in a hotel room for a month oh. to like learn how to do it and that's terrifying oh, that's <laughs> real commitment yeah 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 he's yeah i like michael sarah or <laughs> he looks like michael, michael sarah, sarah. Anyway. no no oh, jesse eisenberg yes <laughs> all right so all right my number seven is hereditary okay have you seen hereditary i haven't man i i watch really weird movies like so I'll tell you why Hereditary made this list. Okay. First of all, Hereditary is my favorite movie of 2018. Okay. Hereditary, first of all, the, the horror genre sucked for me for so long. Ever since, I think the last, I think before it turned into like murder porn and like paranormal activities, it was okay. I liked it. And then it just became Paranormal Activity 8 <laughs> like, yeah. or like Saw 17, you know, yeah, like, yeah. it's just murder porn. And stupid crap. And I just got sick of it. And and then I saw Ari Aster's debut, Hereditary. And I'm like, wow, this was magical. It was high art filmmaking. Nice. I, I was shocked <laughs> at one scene specifically. And it took me, I, my jaw dropped. I was in shock. And I haven't had that feeling in a horror movie since I was a child. I think the last time was In the Mouth of Madness with John Carpenter, right? I think. I, I don't know. So that's, yeah, I think it's John Carpenter, but that, In the Mouth of Madness, 96, I think. That's the last time that I felt like this. Oh, man. Yeah. See, I don't watch a lot of horror movies. I watched, like, The Shining this year, and I think that was it. I'm, yeah, I'm not and, a big well, horror guy. and Doctor Sleep. I, yeah. I watched them both. I, I'm not a big horror guy, but that did And The Babadook. Haven't seen it? Ooh, that's great. That's Australian I, I like to movie. be cuddled and, like, <laughs> what are you going to... You should come over and hold me. <laughs> And we'll watch the Babadook. <laughs> so that, yeah. So Hereditary, that is my number seven. That was incredible. All right. All right. Killer. Killer. Um, Ridley Scott directing on this one. Uh, I'm talking about The Martian here. Nice. Lots of fun. Uh, just a, a survival movie. Yes. Uh, and in, in the most traditional sense of the word. And there's something about uh, a survival movie that you don't get in your real life. There aren't many places in this world that you can't go and like still have cell phone reception. Yes. At this point. Uh -huh. uh, I mean, you might need to buy a new SIM card or whatever. <laughs> so this is, this is a survival movie in the last frontier that humanity has left. It's a trip to Mars. Yes. How how would we survive on Mars if we accidentally stranded somebody? And this movie just goes through and sort of, not entirely scientifically, but like, you know, primarily scientifically accurate. Yes. Uh, I think I think the science doesn't have to be super accurate in a movie for me to enjoy it and and find it plausible. If you can give me a couple of yeah reasonable explanations that don't have to be true, really, I just yeah. meet me halfway. Like yeah. I don't mind. Well, the, the Martian, from what I'm given to understand, does a relatively good job of being accurate, mm -hmm. uh, but, like, not perfect. Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that movie. Yeah, yeah. Lots of fun. Lots of fun. All right. My next one, number six, Jordan Peele's Get Out. Oh, man. I haven't seen it because, again, oh, horror movies. Horror man. movies. 
Someone come and hold me. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yo, Get Out is a masterpiece. It is. Yo, t- talk about tension building. It's like, it, and you know what's so good about Get Out is it doesn't have to reach beyond the imagination because it's kind of racially charged a little bit, right? There's yeah. a little, like, you know, undertone of like. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's uncomfortable for some people to be in rural. I'm a black dude. My worst, my worst fear is to be in rural anywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, like that's so. I mean, it it plays on a lot of fears that we have, you know. Yeah. And it's like, oh crap, it's dialed up. It's the worst case scenario. Like, yo, what happens if you get stuck somewhere? You have no reception, and you know, a lot of <laughs> nobody knows there, and some scary looking white people are there. Yeah. <laughs> It's not to be, you know, but you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's, yeah, with one token Chinese guy. Yes. <laughs> so that's the only thing I know about the movie. That and her, her eating the uh, cereal the separate. Loops. Yeah, separate. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's weird. It's very weird. It's so weird. But yes, it plays on a lot of real fears. Yeah. It's not supernatural. It's not, it plays on, which I think is kind of genius. It yeah. dials it up and really <laughs> takes it there. But yeah, that's my that's my number six of the decade. All right, all right. So here's here's my one here. Um, I'm kind of embarrassed, uh, but John Favreau directs some like really great cheese camp stuff. Okay. Uh, so I I am talking about 2011 here, and I'm talking about Cowboys and Aliens. Oh, that was a Favreau movie. That was a Favreau movie. For a second, I thought you were going to say Chef, because Chef was really good. Yeah, no, but like this... Cowboys and Aliens. Cowboys and Aliens. Well, I I couldn't sneak Tron onto the list, and I I do have a great passion for Olivia Wilde. Haven't seen... uh, What was was her directorial debut? Booksmart. Booksmart. Booksmart was really funny. I'm looking forward to, to getting a chance to seeing it. Haven't seen it yet, but I wanted to make sure she... Popped up on the list and with Daniel Craig and with Harrison Ford. Yeah. Uh, and like, it's it's a fun camp movie uh, that allows you to do some really weird shit. <laughs> it's and, always fun. And like, I'm all for it. I am all for uh, a period piece that just has aliens in it because. I like that. Yeah. I like that. All right. Well, number my number five for me is The Social Network. I almost had that on my list as well. I had to put it on. That's, it, a, that's Fincher and Sorkin. It came very close. What year was that? That was, I think that was 2010. Okay. I think that, or 2011. I'm not sure. Hold on. Social Network. That, 2010, I think. Yeah, 2010, 2010. Okay, yeah. So, yes, that movie, to me, had... First of all, it has some of the highest replay value I've ever seen. Yeah. It's so easy to watch, and you can watch it again and again. Mm-hmm. And it's like... I am I am a sucker for snappy dialogue. It's snappy dialogue. Yeah. It's masterful camera work. Oh God, yes. It looks gorgeous. Yes. Uh, and because it's 2010... Uh, Really, the only reason why it's not the social network on my list is because Scott Pilgrim came out that year. Uh, and and Scott Pilgrim is also snappy dialogue and masterful filmmaking. It's just very visually different. Yes. Very, very like, extremely. It's like, 
he uses CGI. Uh, Fincher, David Fincher is one of my favorite directors, and he uses CGI for the Winklevoss twins. Yeah, he uses CGI for the for the boat at the regatta scene. Yeah, he uses CGI. He uses CGI for everything almost. Even yeah, the, even like the the backdrop of Harvard. Yeah, is not. You know, no, no, there's there's a breakdown of the scene where they're outside and like they're it's supposed to be cold out and they add breath where yeah. they're not breathing at yeah. that point. Even even if you remember the dragon, the girl with the dragon tattoo, he uses CGI blood in that, and okay. there's no and there's no real blood in that. Uh, it's all CGI blood in Zodiac as well. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so for for my next one. Uh, this is Emma Watson and uh, Logan Lerman, uh, directed by Stephen Chabotsky, I guess. Uh, but it's the Perks of Being a Wallflower. I saw that, and it's it's a great way to look at. Um, I think for this character, manifestation. Okay, and like making the most out of your reality. Because okay. um, I know, like, it, it touches on some really dark subject matter. Yeah. Uh, but it also, it struck a chord with me for other reasons. And the, the biggest one was like that, you know, you accept the love you think you deserve or whatever. Yes. Line in there. And yes. I was like, oh, man, yeah, no, that <laughs> that's kind of how that plays out in life. Yeah, that movie was hyper-realistic, and it was really kind of well done. Ezra Miller is the first time I've ever seen him. Yeah. Yeah, but before he ruined The Flash. But anyway. Ruined The He's not <laughs> okay. bad. All right. Flash. Sorry, hot take. That, that's a hot take, and I'll, I probably wouldn't fight you on it, but I'd like, I don't know, maybe arm wrestle. <laughs> but no, yeah, Wallflower, that's a really good movie. Yeah, no, and he, he just had fun in that one, and Paul Rudd in it is really great. Kate oh, Walsh, uh, Dylan McDermott. I, you know, there was a time where he was like a super sexy dude, and he's still like a super sexy dad. He's an old guy now, yeah, but he still yeah, looks yeah. the same. He doesn't look. He hasn't aged. Really. No, no. I mean, the, it's like him and him and him and who else? Like, there's a couple of guys that had the same face for like thirty years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he was born in uh, 1961. Okay. So, yeah. I mean. He looks like he was born in 1979. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the next one, we got a tie for my number four. Oh, no. It's not cheating because it's my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't choose between Logan and Interstellar. Okay. All right. So I haven't seen either. Oh, man. And I'm a big comic book fan, but there was, I I think Apocalypse killed Killed it for me. For the X-Men franchise? Yeah, and I love the X-Men franchise. I really do. So, Logan will correct that for you. Okay. There is... N it hasn't been done like this before. Okay. It's beautiful. It was my... It was my Titanic. All right. Even though I haven't seen Titanic. I literally missed that boat. <laughs> but, no, it was a special... I mean, so long as it was you've beautiful. seen the paintings, yeah, that's yeah. Fine. I mean, we know what happens. Spoiler yeah. alert, capsize. But um, <laughs> they, um, it well, was, it is the spectacle. Of <laughs> yeah, it is the spectacle. It's James Cameron too. I yeah, know. but no, Logan was just wonderful. My favorite comic book movie. It was a western. It was an ode, another ode to really mortality and 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 life decisions. And I thought it was brilliant because uh, they had Wolverine losing his powers. 
slowly, not healing as fast. Yeah. And then they had other mutants all dead, like extinct, except for Xavier and like two other. And they have, and the reason why is because they, they've been poisoning people through food. Yeah. Through like the corn syrup. Right. So like in your cereal, your pop and everything. And so they put something in there to suppress the mutant X gene, which is Uh, really a commentary on what's going on. Yeah. 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 Uh, And so that's why I love Logan interstellar because I, I, I don't know, this is one of the Nolan movies that is aging the best for me. I love it so much. It's, it's heartfelt. It's a story about love. And I feel like Anne Hathaway's, you know, little speech about how love is, you know, how time, you know, everything goes straight forward in time and love yeah. is the only thing that can go back and gravity and how, you know, love, how do we love someone that's dead? That's unexplainable. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and so that whole thing, it was, it was super meta and it was, it was captivating. It, it really tugged at my heartstrings. I loved Interstellar. Nice. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay, so I'm, I'm gonna start getting serious after this one, uh, even though like it won an Oscar, guys. <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. There's nothing wrong with that choice. That is top-notch. Yes, yes. It again, the best it, Spider-Man movie. Yes, by a long margin. Yes. Because, like, the the thing about Spider-Man was when it was originally created, it was created for nerdy little boys, nerdy little white boys, like, let's be honest here. Uh, but the, the idea of Spider-Man has always been, it could be anyone behind that mask. Yes. Um, and and this, this movie does that, but one step further, and it says... Anyone can be Spider-Man if they choose to to move forward, and step to up like, to the plate, step up to the plate to like actually do something. You know, nice. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, Spider-Verse was something I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's it's visually it's just stunning, stunning, oh. so great, so great, and the the rendering on it is fantastic. Everything feels dynamic. Everything feels alive. I think I'm going to rewatch it after this podcast when I go home. Yeah. 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 yeah it's well worth seeing. <laughs> but so like, I'm, I'm going to get more serious after this. Okay. No problem. Uh, but like, yeah, that's, that's my last comic book movie on here. All right. My number three inception. Of course. Yeah. No, don't need to know. I mean, I don't think, I mean, everybody knows we've we're, seen it yeah, now. We're not going to have to dive in on that. Yeah. yeah. It's inception. All right? yeah, yeah. If you, you know, the science holds, if you let it, <laughs> well and and it doesn't have to hold it. you just you you have to come to the end of the movie and make your own conclusions yes about what that ending means and i i don't mean like metaphorically I, yeah I, I don't i don't mean it like literally what does it mean this does it mean that i mean like how does that ending make you feel yes. is the important part okay so yeah, no need to dive in on no, no. Uh, okay, so I'm gonna go ahead and and say a movie that took me two shots at watching before I actually got through it. Okay, uh, and it's uh, it's Scarlett Johansson. Okay, who is pretty much uh, pretty much amazing in everything. 
Okay. Uh, but it's it's with uh, Luke Besson directing. I'm of course talking about Lucy. I saw Lucy. Yeah, that was crazy. I didn't see it going that way. <laughs> no, no, it was. It started off like a Jason Bourneish. Yeah, but it's it's a fascinating metaphor for uh, motherhood. Yes, and for uh, passing along knowledge and for um, you know being good stewards of of the earth. Nice. Uh, and I I really even though it it I definitely didn't think it was going that way. Yeah, uh, like that she would. And I probably will just spoil it. <laughs> uh, you know, earmuffs, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, she she turns into a USB thumb drive at yeah. the end. Yeah, and she's, she's pretty like, much in the cloud. Yeah, well, no, she's like, this is the answer. Yeah. The, the answer to what do you do when you're you're in a situation where where you're safe, yeah. where you're fine. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to pass along that safeness, that ability uh-huh. um, in times of struggle. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And like Luke Besson, I love his high concept stuff. Like the the Fifth Element is still one Ooh. of my favorite movies. That was amazing. Yeah. Fifth Element. It's immortal. It's in yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. My number two, because I love snappy dialogue. My number two is my personal favorite. Okay. The decade. It's my personal favorite movie of since 2010. Okay. Uh, I was gonna put it at number one, but I had to be fair and put the superior product. Okay. <laughs> higher, all right. All right. So, even though number two is my personal favorite, The Big Short. Oh, I haven't seen that. Tell me all about oh it. My God, it's about the 2008 housing market crash. Okay. Uh, it's done by Adam McKay, and this is Adam McKay's first foray into drama. Okay. So he did, you know, Anchorman, Talladega Nights, Step Brothers, nice. and then he did this, which was, and it was a dramedy. It was yeah, funny. Yeah. It was really good. It was clever. And this was the Aaron Sorkin dialogue with an all star cast. Right. With Brad Pitt, with, you know, Steve Carell, Christian Bale. Nice. Uh, it was beautiful. It's my personal favorite movie. Uh, and, and the thing about Adam McKay is, I, he's very, he is very, he's on the right side of things, right? Okay. And he's, you know, kind of against the establishment in, in, in his art. Right. He, he makes art that pokes fun and shows, and shows that these are really shitty people who are doing really shitty things. Yeah. And I feel he did that with Vice when he did the Dick Cheney. Um, he did that with, on Succession, a show on HBO that I love. Yeah. Uh, but the big short is the way he did it the best. Oh, nice. Uh, I thought it was just a masterclass in filmmaking. Um, there was a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of business terminology that they'll use and, and they'll have certain celebrities come in and explain it. So it's almost meta and they'll be like, hi, I'm Margot Robbie. And this is what this means. Right. And these are what subprime loans mean. And this is what, and then they'll explain it. And then, you know. Okay. So it's, it's kind of, thank you for smoking that way. Yes. Okay. Thank you for smoking. was great too. Yeah. But is that kind, but dialed up. Okay, it's really right. cool. They have Selena Gomez at a blackjack table explaining, uh, you know, different kind of loans and stuff too. Okay, so it's, all right. it's cool. So that's my number two. Okay, the big short. So I'm a little torn here as well, uh, but 
this is more because I like both the movies a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, but I'm I'm gonna save this one first. Uh, Arrival. Ooh, that's my number one. That's your number yes, one. Oh yes, man. Yes. All right. Arrival is right, my right, number right. one movie of the decade. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So that's I. That's funny. We, yo, by the way, with this not this was not rehearsed. Yeah. I yeah, did no, not we, know his number one. He did not know mine. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well. Okay. So. In that case, we'll we'll hold off on arrival for a second. Yes, let's do our honorable mentions. All right. So yes, uh, and and wait. Well, let me do let me yeah, do, do my that. number two. Okay, your number two. Uh, Jojo Rabbit. I haven't seen it yet. Jojo Rabbit is a movie we needed this decade. Okay. Uh, it's very telling, uh, and it allows you to empathize with the people who were Nazis in this particular case, but I, I get the feeling that if more people actually watch this movie, we'd have a little bit more tolerance, a little bit more understanding in the world. Uh, and that's, that's why it is actually my number one. That was the, the one I was holding off on. Okay. Um, but it, it's all from the perspective of this little boy and this little boy has an imaginary best friend who's Hitler. Because he's just, he's a sad little boy. And this happens everywhere around the world. You develop a hero. And maybe sometimes they're not the best person. Yeah. In this particular case, they're the worst person. Yeah. But it it shows how children can be indoctrinated, even in situations where uh, their parents might not agree. And in this case, their parents definitely didn't agree. Yeah. Um. Okay, I need so, to see it. I yeah, yeah. See it. No it's, spoilers. It's really good. All right, but my my honorable mention because yes. I only have one. You've got you've got your. Four. Oh, I got I got yeah I got I got one two three, four. No wait, one two three four five. Yeah, five. Okay, all right. I'll so just I'll, breeze through them. I'm not yeah, gonna yeah, die. Yeah, all right. Yeah, right in. So, Twelve Years a Slave. Okay. Beautiful movie. Steve McQueen, Chiwetel uh, Ejiofor killed it. Fastbender killed it. Lupita won an Oscar for it. Nice, amazing. The Town, my favorite heist movie. Okay. Boston. All right. That, that, that. <laughs> My boy's wicked smack. <laughs> um, Creed is another honorable mention because that's that's the one of my favorite boxing movies. And it's Ryan Coogler as well. And yeah. Michael B. Jordan. Um, American Hustle. David O. Russell. I haven't seen it. I really want to. It's on Amazon Prime. Get I it know. Done. I know. I'm getting it's that. really good. And The Dark Knight Rises. Of course. Of course. Just for Bane. First two thirds of that movie were amazing. Last, the third act does not age well with me. Something about Batman fighting outside in the daytime, yeah, didn't do it for me. The Talia yeah. switch didn't do it for me. All right, all right. Third all right, act all right. didn't do it for me, but still, it was it was great. Bane was amazing. Tom Hardy was amazing. Christian Bale's my guy. Nice. Yeah, those are the honorable mentions. Okay. And all right. Mentions. So my my honorable mention is quite simply the sequel that I didn't know we needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is, of course, Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. That was entertaining. You know what i I got the emotion of seeing the Brontosaurus, like because oh. everyone knows that first time you see that Brontosaurus in the first movie, yeah, you're yeah. like, holy, yeah, yeah, and and. So like this badass scientist, doctor lady coming yeah. out being like, I have to see this. Like I have to, I just, 
And, and I'm there, I'm like, oh, there he is. And then they, I mean, they don't, they, they use that and they bait you with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we'll, we'll yes, leave that spoiler free and we'll, we'll have to talk about Arrival now. Arrival. Now, I man, what can be said about this? First of all, I'm, I'm going to start by saying that Denis Villeneuve is the, the best director of the decade. Like, he, for as far as volume goes, because another album mentioned that I forgot would be Sicario. Okay. All right. Like, Denis Villeneuve and Prisoners. And, like, this is, he's too good at what he does. Okay. He's too good. And he's firing them off at a rapid rate. Like, That's in so the decade, though. he had so many crazy good movies. Nothing was bad. And then he did 2049, uh, Blade Runner. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet. Well, I've seen part Amazing. of it. I haven't gotten through it. But Arrival. Yeah. Is this the best movie he's ever done? Yeah, it's it's a wonderful use of the Kuliashov effect. Yes. Um, and like just just a lot of fun uh to to watch. Uh not not so much like what's going on on screen, obviously. No, no, but it, I it, I'm a fan of linguistics. Yeah. Right? And like, how would you teach aliens? Oh my god, talk? yeah. How would you do it? It's yeah. genius. Like th- this is it, it speaks to me on so many levels. That whole, the relationship, first of all, she built with Abbott and Costello was yeah. beautiful. And yeah. it just, and the way she perceives time, it's like, this. first of all, this is the best time travel movie ever. Because yeah. they deal with it like, you know, this is how it is, and this is the most plausible way of doing it. And I never would have thought of that. Yes. Where time is running concurrent, right? Like three timelines simultaneously. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's quite firmly... Uh, how I believe like the only way time travel works because I mean, otherwise you get into a multiverse theory, but what that means for you from a scientific perspective is that the universe you leave ends the second you leave it yeah. as a time traveler. Uh-huh. Like the, the, that's the problem with the multiverse theory yeah. is that by creating time travel, you are by default destroying a universe. Okay. Well, I guess I'd rather the arrival side of things. Yeah. Where time is running, you know, present, past, and future are all happening at the same time. Yeah. I, it's, it's the way it makes the most sense. For sure. Uh, but I'm, I'm very passionate about time travel and time <laughs> travel in movies. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. Avengers Endgame did a great job, but not like this. No. Avengers Endgame did an awful job. Well, I mean, Nothing they, makes sense. I say it was great because they knew it was awful. Right? They, yeah, they, they gave you the 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 band-aid explanation. They said, "Listen, they give you don't even... three band-aid explanations." That's fine, <laughs> but but that's what we want, right? Like, here's enough to skip over. Like, yeah, yeah. If you give me, if you meet me halfway, and you give me enough meat, you know what I mean? Oh, I, I got a script. I got to send you. Okay, all right. <laughs> but yeah, no. So arrival, it was poetry. It was, yeah, the way it was shot. I'm, I'm gonna watch it again and again and again. It's just I one can only dream to make movies that good. Yeah, you know. <laughs> well, and and it was measured was the other thing. Yes. It had really nice pacing. Yes, nothing nothing felt rushed, uh, and I don't remember myself like wandering, thinking like, "Oh, you could cut something here if you wanted to." No, no, no. It, it felt necessary. <clears throat> yes, it felt really necessary, and I feel as the like Jeremy Renner first of all was really great in it. Yeah, I liked him a lot. I didn't like him a lot. I haven't liked him since the town. Because that's he got nominated for Oscar for the town. Okay. He plays this crazy bank robber. 
Oh man, insane Boston gangster yeah. with like a luck of the Irish tattoo on the back of his neck. Very, you know, I've grown up with a couple of him, yeah, <laughs> a couple yeah. of guys like him. But he um he did really well in this, and it was like understated. He wasn't the brute force that because you know in a lot of these movies he's the blunt object, right? Yeah. In this one, you know, it was more understated. He got to act. He got there was a little more meat on this role. It was yeah. fun. It was really nice to see him doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah, he. It's the first thing I saw him in outside of the the MCU. Yes. So like, getting to know that side of him as an actor, as a, a guy with that level of range, is actually really nice. It really is. Yeah. All right. Well, that was our top ten that for was, the decade. So How did you feel? Man. It was oh man, like it was cathartic. Yeah. Well, this <laughs> this took like forever. This. <laughs> Oh man, there's so much more that I'd love to say about like this last decade of movies where it's like we we've seen some changes. We've seen some cool changes in the way people make movies, but also what movies are are popular, what movies are worth seeing. Uh, I think I think the good the change there's some good changes. Like there's a lot of people complaining about we don't get good cinema like we used to, but now this year proved it wrong. Yeah, we we get a really like there are a lot of stickers. Let's oh, let's not kid ourselves. Hundred percent. But like the the ratio hasn't changed really. Like we still get the same number of really great movies, movies worth talking about. Uh, and admittedly, with the MCU, we we spend a lot of time talking about superhero movies. But that says something about us as like a public with our public conscious more than it does about the quality of movies being made. It's true. Well, I, I, there's space for everything now because of streaming platforms. Yeah. So, like, you know, independent filmmakers now have a home. I see that is that is sort of the problematic part is that I do think independent filmmakers have a different uh, set of challenges when it comes to uh, streaming platforms yeah. and that like movie theaters for mid-level budget indie films uh, are probably a better spot for you to see something that is a piece of art. You're right. We wouldn't have got Uncut Gems without, yeah. without having a nice little theatrical, like the, that community for it. Yeah. And, you're right. and, and I think like there, there are some arguments uh, like I know Netflix very deliberately put out the Irishman and uh, marriage story, marriage story in theaters, gave it a theatrical release so that they could uh, be eligible for Oscars, yes. which I actually think is super great. Yeah. I, I think it's a genius move on their part. Uh, I think the Oscars do need that level of purity. They need to be about movies that have been released theatrically. Yes. Whether or not they were made for streaming services. No, I agree. I, I, I do want to see more adult dramas in theaters. Ford versus Ferrari was really good. That's another honorable mention for 2019, I forgot. And yeah. Joker. My apologies. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, like the adult drama yeah. is making a comeback. Yeah, well, and, and the I box think, office. <laughs> I think there are a couple other genres that like I would love to see come back. Uh, the the early 2000s uh, cringy comedies. <laughs> I, I want I want to see them come back, but aimed at 30-year-olds and not 18-year-olds. Wow, that, yes. Um, 
And so then, that's Seth Rogen. <laughs> yeah, but like it's been a weaker couple of years from For, him. Yeah, like long shot was really good. Okay, that I'll, was nice. I'll that's on. To, it's on Prime. Okay. Yeah, and Charlie's. It it's 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 what Knocked Up should have been. It's better than Knocked Up. Knocked Up was. Yeah, hold. I rewatched Knocked Up. It doesn't hold. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of that is they, they do a lot of improv comedy. I do want scripted comedy. Yes. Uh, and I, I think Superbad. Superbad is a wonderful example of uh, Seth Rogen's comedy being done very well and very scripted. Yes. Uh, and, and I think he does things on a different level that age better when they're, when they're scripted versus improv. All right. And on that note, we're almost at an hour and a half, but uh, oh, we, can, yeah. <laughs> we can go on for, I know, I could talk movies all day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, we'll do Little Women eventually. We'll do a Little Women eventually. Eventually. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're going to see it tomorrow, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so like, we'll, we'll get around to that because I, I did really enjoy the movie, but I think it, it deserves some time in the sunshine all by itself. For sure. I'm still going to do The Irishman with a couple of friends of mine. We're still waiting for it. Um, but now it's, you know, I've been saying I'm going to do it. It's coming. Whether you want it or not. <laughs> um, just kidding, guys. Uh, all right. Well, that's uh, our episode. It won't be a three-hour podcast. No, no. Um, but that's our episode. Thanks uh, so thanks, much for having me. Thanks for coming, man. Uh, you guys have a great holiday and happy new year. And see you after January. Woo!